especially in light of 2020 being a year of disconnection, where we were physically separated and prevented for maybe many good reasons from connecting with one another, to be in a place where you had to connect. I couldn't jump on a Zoom call to clean up a tree in my neighbor's yard. I had to I had That's to not get something you can do. Yep. And that's the hope. The hope I find in moments like that, where you're losing energy in a positive way, that you're seeing it fall off your brow in sweat serving somebody. And I think the more that we as Utahns, as Americans, as men and women, as anybody, in whatever sphere of influence we have, we find ourselves sweating in service, I think the hope is found very quickly. This is Jeff Birmingham, and welcome to the Us Podcast, where we talk to interesting people. Here are the three pillars of the podcast. Number one, we can learn a lot from each other. There are good people doing good things all around us. Number two, despite our differences, and we're we're talking to a political person here next, and we're going to talk a little bit about politics despite our differences, whether it's political, religious, race, uh, you know, gender sexual orientation, whatever it may be, we're all going through this human experience together. And we have a lot more alike and in common than we do different. Um, And number three, I think that we're too often driven by fear. We let mistakes of the past or concern for an unknown future cloud our vision. We make bad decisions. So these are the stories of people you may or may not have heard of that I believe will change your life for the better. And remember, this podcast was really inspired kind of by my run for governor over the last year and inspired in two for two reasons. One, I I wanted to just get some good content out into the world. I I just wanted to do something nice and refreshing and just positive content out there. Number two, I was amazed by the people that I met all around the great state of Utah doing amazing things. And I have one of those people here today. Rob Axon. Rob, thank you so much for thanks. joining the podcast. Yeah, thanks, Jeff. I'm happy to be here. I met Rob on the campaign trail. Rob is the director of Senator Lee's office here in the state of Utah. Yep. You can correct. What What else should that's, I add to that title? Oh, no, that, that's good. He has yeah. one of the best beards in Utah, too, by the way, <laughs> that I'm looking at right here. Um, and I met he and his wife, and they are amazing. Rob has dedicated a lot of his life to politics. I want to ask him why that is. And is a public servant that's maybe a little bit behind the scenes. We know Senator Lee. A lot of people know Rob Axon. Rob is also the vice chair of the Republican Party in the state of Utah. So Rob's kind of a big deal in politics. You may not have heard of him. But it's people like this that are a little bit behind the scenes that are doing the day-to-day work that bless our lives, that bless our state. It's unbelievable, Rob. You're one of the best people. I'm being serious. I don't say that. You're one of the best people I met on the campaign trail. Uh, that means a lot to me. I Seriously, that, Jeff. you and your wife, unbelievable. Um, so that, that's how I know Rob, and I want to talk about politics and life. Where'd you grow up? So mainly grew up here, uh, uh, you know, being the, the child of uh, a broken home, so to speak, and, and dealing with the the joys and challenges and, and hardships that come with with divorce and everything else, uh, I grew up mainly here uh, with my mom through the school year, and then I would spend summers uh, there in the Toronto, Canada area with my dad. Oh, uh, so kind of that back and forth. Um, so summers up there was that was that the biggest challenge in your life? Do you think kind of uh, growing up? 
Um, tell tell us about the a little bit more about the home you grew up in. No, it's it's an interesting question. Uh, the Canadian experience, it was fun being the American kid, and I've always been a proud American, a, a, a politically interested uh, lover of history, and, and I would go to Canada, and, and some of the funny memories I have of that experience is getting kicked out of primary uh, there at my <laughs> LDS ward in Canada because I was telling Canadian jokes. So, uh, you know, know Kicked your audience. Sunbeams. Yeah, you got to know your audience. Yeah, man. and uh, having your dad uh, then take you over to the primary president's house after church to, to apologize. apologize and, and give yeah. them a culpa. It, it was a lot of fun. So, <laughs> yeah, funny. summer's up there, but for the most part, Utah County and Salt Lake County here in Utah through the school year, uh, and then two years LDS mission in, in South Korea and three years living in D.C. working out that direction and then back here. Cool. What did you do in D.C.? Uh, so started with uh, first an internship uh, with Congressman Rob Bishop uh, there in the first district years and years ago. Prior to that, did a summer program at Georgetown University. And then the bulk of the time back there was working for Senator Lee when he first came into office before coming back and working out of his state operation. What did you do for Senator Lee back there? So back there, uh, there's a full cadre of, of folks that are working on legislative proposals. So Let me ask you the yeah. cool question real quick. How many people do senators have working for them on average or whatever in their office in D.C.? Uh, great question. Approximately, uh, you know? Yeah, I, you'd probably have roughly about 20 people that work on your team in D.C. Got it. And then depending on your committee assignments, you might have three, four, or five that work on the committee in addition. Uh, and then your state offices here in Utah, we're about, uh, what, 18 or so people that work for Senator 18. Lee here in Utah, correct? Full time. Yep. Wow. So a number of and people what you, here. For those state. that don't know, obviously a lot of people that listen to this po- uh, podcast are interested in politics. A lot are not and don't know a lot about politics. What is the what is the team here do? What do you guys do on a day-to-day basis? And I, I know there's a lot, but um, – Obviously, I think people could understand why there's a team for an election mm-hmm. cycle. But, you know, Senator Lee only that's every six years. Right. Yeah. So what happens in those intervening five or five and a half years? That's the beautiful place of public service in my mind. It's the space where you're helping Utahns. Uh, and, you know, folks in D.C. that work for Senator Lee are looking at policy. And so you're diving into policy, the different proposals that are on the table to address issue A, B, C or D. Uh, and you're looking at what you agree with, what you disagree with, and trying to move the senator's agenda there. That's the primary purpose of the D.C. team. And the Utah team, the primary purpose is to work with Utahns, help Utahns, understand Utahns. And so while I've had that experience in, in both D.C. and Utah, I love being here working for Senator Lee in the state because I've traveled just about every darn road in this state, and I've gotten to meet <laughs> some phenomenal people yeah. and, and really have fallen in love with a, a state that I thought I already loved about as much as you possibly could. And I've gotten I've grown to know a state in yeah. ways that you just can't unless you get close to people. Yeah, no, that that's awesome. That's That was one of the richest experiences that I had of running for governor is just going to all 29 counties and all these different places and meeting all these interesting people, but, you know, bound together in a state yep. and in, in values that we believe in. So you've always been drawn to politics, mm-hmm. it sounds like. What, yeah. what, why? Why? Why do you think? Great, great story. I actually you love can pain. Tell, You're I like can, a glutton for punishment. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. You know, take the take the whipping and and take the <laughs> arrows and and an occasional knife in the back. You're okay with it. <laughs> it. Frankly, it started. I can remember the very day, and it was election day in 1988. I was a kindergarten student at Ensign Elementary up in Salt Lake. Wow. And I remember my primary teacher. 
again, I guess another primary story, wow. but a primary teacher from uh, from church coming into my school and going into a little booth and closing a curtain. And I saw her do that. And I asked my teacher and I said, you know, why was so-and-so, I don't even remember her name at this at this point, but why is she here? And my teacher said, oh, well, these are folks that get to pick who our next president is. And so it was the presidential election, 1988. Uh, and that blew my mind. We, How old were you? I was five years old. Wow. So five years old, and it blew my mind that my primary teacher was picking the president. <laughs> Did and you think it was just her alone? Or I, special... I thought it was just the people I knew. <laughs> I, I thought it was like, wow, we get to pick the, who's replacing Reagan here, and it's all folks in my neighborhood in the avenues in Salt Lake. Yeah. Uh, and so from that moment forward, I was just interested by the fact that here in this country, People that you go to church with, people that you go to school with, people that you see in the street and in your own household get to pick who your leaders are. And that just fascinated me. Yeah. Um, That's awesome. Does that still continue to fascinate you? And is that still why do you do the job that you do? Uh, So you were with D.C. or sorry, you were with Senator Lee in D.C. And then now you run his office here in the state. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Why? Why? Uh, At the end of the day, it's it's fascinating that. I think Americans, we appreciate our history. We like our history for the most part. And, and even as as immigrants, you try to get up to speed and know your history. And and yet, uh, I think for the most part, a lot of people don't know how to engage with that process. And they don't know where to start. And maybe they start online and maybe they start reading comments or reading stories. But if you're not uh, provided the opportunity, so much of what you do to engage with this system of government that we have is done in a very impersonal way with barriers that prevent you from fully accessing the opportunities that come and having your voice be heard. And so I take great pleasure and excitement in helping people navigate beyond just the comment board on a website or the frustration that comes from reading a story to actually find a place where they can exercise their their passions and they can focus their energies to to feel like they're bought into the system. That's cool. Um, what's it like being a senator? Ooh, uh, like what would people not know or, you know, things that I see on the outside looking at uh, members of Congress where I've been able to kind of see from behind the scenes. It, it's the. I guess the volume of energy that goes into what they do, and for the most part, I, I, I won't. Uh, assume ill of any member of Congress, uh, regardless of their background. I, I like to approach relationships and people with the assumption that they're doing it for the right reasons, whatever they've identified those in being. And when you have somebody who's willing to put their name on the line and put their uh, themselves out there and their family out there, it's it's at times discouraging to see how much negativity is thrown their way. And I, I know it's a part of the process and, and, you know, you have to be in the arena to, uh, to have an opportunity to, there's to nowhere change, like being but, in the arena, baby. Right? Yeah. You have to be in the arena, but, but that's something that I think if I do a better job and people like myself and countless Americans around the country, regardless of what you do professionally, as you try to engage with our American process of government and help those around us know how they can engage rather than turning to negativity to throw at somebody. You can turn to ways to work with people. And that's where I think Utahns do it better than the rest of the country. And, and we can, definitely can be a, an example to others, though I think we could improve as well. Yeah. What's uh, How do you protect your candidate or your the person that you're working for, the senator or congressman or woman? Um, what's the balance between giving them feedback, protecting them from some of the harshness mm-hmm. of the job versus Letting them see that, feel that, grow from that. You know, I'm just curious. How do you balance that? 
curious. Um, After I, having gone through it a little bit. Yeah, I, I'm lucky in the 10 years I've worked for Senator Lee, I'm working for somebody who's willing to hear the hard things, uh, and I think that's helpful. Uh, then I'm not as concerned about protecting him, so to speak, from um, what what is being said or, or concerns that are out there. Uh, that provides an opportunity where he's willing to continue to focus on on doing good and helping folks. Um, but generally answering that question, I think the important thing is to ask yourself, and this would go for my position of working for a member of Congress, but I think it goes for anybody. It goes for me as a husband that has a wife that if I don't approach that relationship correctly, I, you, you don't get what you want out of it. And I, I take uh, the effort really to always pause before engaging with a difficult discussion and think, what am I trying to accomplish here? Is it just a matter of getting it off my chest? Is it just a matter of sharing the information? And sometimes there's a time and a place for that. But I think that from muscle memory can be the the kind of basic way we approach things. And it's not always the right way to approach things. I think it's better to pause and ask, what's the thing that needs to be accomplished from sharing this information? Uh, and if we do that, I think relationships improve. Uh, but I also think that you set people up, in this case, Senator Lee, you would set him up with the ability to know candidly what he needs to know, but also do know it in a way that he can take action and do what needs to be done. Yeah. Um, you know, there are I've always appreciated Senator Lee. He, I remember sitting with him at the uh, Lincoln Day dinner up in Logan, Utah. Do you remember mm-hmm. this? That was very early on when I was considering running for governor. He's always been a good friend. He and his wife, they're magnificent people. Um, you know, everyone, you're never going to agree with a politician 100%. You wouldn't be your own person if you were like lockstep with anybody. But I think the desire to serve is uh, – is found within the hearts of our public servants here in Utah, mm-hmm. um, generally for the right reasons, I would say. Would you agree with that or no? Yeah. I, I again, what kind of echo what I said before, I think you have to assume the best of everybody, though at times I think all of us have on good authority from experience uh, the ability to conclude that that person maybe has some self-interest engaged in in how they go about things. But even in those circumstances, what do you get as an individual from assuming the worst out of somebody or concluding the worst? You don't really – it doesn't accomplish anything. Yeah. And so I like to assume the sale. Assume the sale that this person that you're working with, whether it's a constituent, whether it's a business partner, partner whether it's a, a friend or a family member that you're in, in a point of contention with or whether it's an, uh, an elected official, you assume that they want to do good. And you assume that you have the ability to help them do good. And in that, I think you start to have some some innovative ideas that come forward and epiphanies that happen. And your heart starts to sing louder than your mind. Mm-hmm. And you find ways to move forward in a positive light. That's cool. Um, hopefully this isn't too much. But I was texting with Senator Lee last night. And I, I know the ups and downs a little bit of, you know, running for governor. I can't imagine the ups and downs that he goes through as a senator and that he's going through right now. We've just been through a very hard election and are still kind of going through it. It's been a, such a tough and lonely and weird year, mm-hmm. 2020. What's the future of politics? What You know, what's the state of politics now? I'm saying in D.C. or whatever you're focused on, Rob. Mm-hmm. You know, what is the state in your mind and what gives you hope for the future or concern, whatever it may be? Uh, the the way I would answer that is the hope uh, that we have moving forward. I think each of us needs to look at maybe a challenge that we've faced this year. And I know I've talked to, to you about this. The highlight of my year was after the windstorm that hit the Wasatch Front. And yeah, tell me about this. the it's ability cool. to spend 
hours and hours and hours for a couple of weeks cleaning up my neighborhood and working with people that I knew from church or knew from my neighborhood, but working with a bunch of people I had never met before and meeting them while you're just exhausted and sweaty and using a, a chainsaw or dragging limbs or loading up a truck to take down to the dump or whatever it was you were doing. It was in that moment, especially in light of 2020 being a year of disconnection where we were physically uh, separated and, and um, prevented for maybe many good reasons from connecting with one another to be in a place where you had to connect. I couldn't jump on a Zoom call to clean up a tree in my neighbor's yard. I had to. I had that's to not get something there physically. you can do. Yep. And that's that's the hope. The hope I find in moments like that, where you're you're losing energy in a positive way, that you you're seeing it fall off your brow and sweat serving somebody. And I think the more that we as Utahns, as Americans, as men and women, as, as Anybody in whatever sphere of influence we have, we find ourselves sweating in service. I think the hope is found very quickly. I love that. Let me ask you a hard question, mm -hmm. and I hope I'm not. How much of the energy spent in D.C. is that kind of good energy? Because I think enough. this. Yeah, not enough. That's not for, enough. That's for dang sure. I was about to swear <laughs> for the first time on the podcast, baby. <laughs> Uh, actually, for the first time in my life, no, just um, uh, <laughs> that's for sure mm -hmm. not enough. I think the sense, right, from uh, people just in the general public is, you know, like 10%, 5%, a very small amount. How do we get more of that good energy of service, of being connected with those that are different than us? Um, how do we imbue that or put that more into our politics? I know that's a really hard question. There's not an easy answer, but, you know, what what's your vision for that? What's Senator Lee's vision? You know, uh, like uh, how does how, how do we do that? I think the importance of connection and getting back to that theme and, and you can't be connected to somebody if you don't know them. The, the beginning of any type of connection is meeting somebody wherever they are and, and jumping in. And so you look, as we don't have enough of that hope that's happening and enough of that, uh, you know, exercising service and, and losing yourself in service uh, there in D.C., we, we're going to have to do it out in the communities and states that then forces them to do that. And as we educate one another on the opportunities to be involved, I think instead of taking an issue, and you could take any issue, you could take an issue that nobody knows about, you could take a contentious issue uh, and if you take that issue and you're just fighting for that issue, however valiant of an effort it may be, and for whatever motivation you have that may be pure that, you, that uh, you're applying to the effort, if you do it in a way that doesn't connect to people, you're missing the greatest secret to, to actually making progress on something that, that matters to you. And you look, um, you know, think through maybe some of the hardest conversations or, or points of information you've ever found out in your life. And not to touch on, on difficult topics, but I can think vividly the first time I found out a friend committed suicide. And I can think vividly and remember uh, the emotions that I felt each and every time I heard of somebody taking their own life. I can remember crying myself through the entirety of a night when I found out for the first time that somebody I cared about was sexually assaulted and not being able to sleep and just sick to my stomach on what was happening and had happened to this person I cared about. And yet it's in those moments 
a vulnerability that you realize a couple of things. You realize that, of course, there's work to be done for that person and for those people affected by uh, the loss of a life or affected by abuse or whatever it may be. But there's so much if we're willing to dive into that and connect with those people and love people through their challenges, there's so much that we can prevent down the road for others and and prevent them from having to experience it the same way. There's a a quote uh, that I I don't remember verbatim, but it's, uh, I believe Ralph Waldo Emerson uh, said something along the lines of the difference of a hero and an ordinary individual is they stay brave five minutes longer. (laughs) I think that's what we all need to do. We have in our capacity as, uh, as people, uh, the ability to be brave a little bit longer and in so doing become the heroes that people in our lives need. That is awesome. Well said. I love that. I don't know how you pivoted from politics to that <laughs> beautiful like soliloquy and, and such inspiration. Um, let me ask one more political question and then maybe dive a little bit more into your life. But, and you know, I don't, we don't, what's the future of the Republican Party? And I'm saying in the near term yeah. future, you know, like, uh, it's been chaotic, and um, you know we don't need to speak about our current president. There's a strong feelings uh, for and against him. I I saw those in our state. I've seen those around the country. So have you. Um, but you know what is what is what does the future look like? Paint paint a picture um, of the Republican Party going forward, and you know what what are your thoughts? What thoughts do you have about that? Yeah, great question. I'll answer this. Even though I work for Senator Lee, even though I'm the vice chair of the the state Republican Party, I'll answer this as Robert Axon, a citizen here in the state. And Axon's such a cool last name. It really kind of is. Isn't right? it? It's like a bad boy. Like no, a lot Axon. of times people people like you're on the phone. They're like, wait, what is that? And so my way of of making them understand what I'm saying when it's my last name and I'm talking with some customer service agent or something, yeah. it's son of an ax. And then they don't forget it. So <laughs> son, son of, of an ax, baby. It just fits your beard too. And it's right? just cool. Uh, especially when I'm wearing flannel and it's just helping like clean top. up the yard. Yeah. yeah it's just it's, like you are when, <laughs> when you're wearing flannel and your beard and you're like, I'm Rob Axon. And everyone's like, Whoa, <laughs> sorry. Okay. Um, Sometimes we go on these tangents. Hey, you have to, right? Yeah, Life, yeah. Life's full of tangents. So yeah, you're speaking for yourself. Yeah, just speaking, we got it. Speaking yeah. for myself here. Um, the future of of the Republican Party, and I would hope the future for the Democrat Party and any other political persuasion, is for all of us to focus more on principles and, and policy and less on personality and party. And while I certainly find uh, a home within the the Republican Party is I look at things and issues that I care about and, and I believe that the Republican Party when pushing forward and and uh, promoting things that it cares about creates a future that I want to live in. I also believe that parties should be secondary to so much and all too often because of a 24-hour news cycle and Instagram and social media that can put things in front of you so quickly. And the desire uh, when you don't know what to do to just be frustrated, uh, it becomes easy to make it about the party and it's about the personality. It's about who the president is or who the next president is. And it's about how they say something or don't say something and and their voting record and this and that. And while all of that is important, I think the thing that is most important are what are the principles that that party or that individual is pushing forward and what are the policies that they're trying to push forward? Because even in a point – where a policy is put forward that you disagree with. If you focus on the policy, you can find the common ground and let's stretch that. Let's grow that. Let's grow the area of policy that we agree with 
as Americans. Rather than making it personal, right? Rather than making it personal. Like character flaw because Mm -hmm. you disagree with me or you're putting forth this policy that I don't disagree with. Therefore, you are a bad person. Yep. Right? And how quickly a person's voting record or as an American, who you support for president or who you support for city council or whatever defines who you are. And and (laughs) what a missed opportunity if your neighbor is defined based off of a plastic yard sign they put in front of their yard (laughs) once every four years. And that's how you define the relationship. There's so much more that you could get out of that that neighbor experience than just who they are voting for. Yeah, that's that's awesome. I love that. Um, You've had a ton of life experience. You know, you've been lived in D.C. back here in Utah, grew up in a in an interesting home and background. You know, how do you sum up life so far? What are some of your biggest takeaways or, or things that you've learned? Biggest takeaways, uh, you know, I'm 37, so I hope I have two-thirds of my life left. And on all honesty, it's probably closer to half. Uh, <laughs> Whatever. And, uh, That's only 64. Yeah, right? You've got and, two-thirds. Uh, yeah, yeah, I got it. Got that would put you at 101. <laughs> I'm, I like math. So, uh, you know, looking at life, I think there's been a lot that I've done well. There's been a lot that I've uh, disappointed myself in. But kind of how you started the the conversation at the very beginning of laying out your purpose in doing this podcast. It's about figuring out how to move forward. You know, we've all got lessons we've got to learn from, and there's, there's fear that everybody has in their life. Um, looking back at some of the, the more challenging experiences and growing up in the situation that I did is, is how much of my life early on I did alone. And what I mean by that is I was an outgoing kid and on the surface and on the outside, uh, you know, folks growing up with me. In fact, if somebody grew up with me in high school and listened to this podcast, they might even be surprised to hear some of what I'm about to say. But, you know, growing up, I it would appear as though I had everything together or at least appeared that there was no concern uh, at home or or nothing that ruffled my feathers. And I think so many people maybe put on that persona and it might be a safety mechanism. It might be something that we do to to try to protect ourselves. And so I look and, and early on in life, so much of, of the challenges, so much of the heartache, so much of, of the concerns that I had day in and day out, I didn't share with anybody. And it was it was kept inside. It was kept alone. And what's interesting, even as I've tried to adjust to that and, and tried to share and be vulnerable where necessary, I still, even as as a husband, as a dad, find myself at times probably being closed off more than I should. And it's something that I actively try to work on out of love for my dear wife and love for my kids of, of knowing that they deserve a, a dad and a husband who's vulnerable and upfront and, and includes them in every aspect of who I am because it gives them the ability to do the same. And, and it gets to that heart of what I do professionally. It gets to the heart of how I try to pro, uh, approach my life. And it's the belief that you can't do it alone. And it's interesting, I, I've always had a, a faith in God, and I've always believed in the ability and the power of prayer. And yet, if I'm not careful, prayer is one of the first things that leaves my life because of this muscle memory that I have from growing up in challenging situations of trying to do it alone. Sometimes I even think, you know, I can do this without God, not because I don't think that he could help, and not because I don't think that I'd be better off if he did help, but because I I don't know if it's whether I, I don't believe I deserve it or what it may be. <laughs> but if I'm not careful, yeah. I can even remove one of the most powerful assets that I have in my life by removing prayer. Yeah. So you take it on your own shoulders to mm-hmm. kind of overcome this alone. Who are some of the people that have lifted you up, Rob, and, and helped you, mentored you, and 
you know, I don't know. Who are some of the people that have made a difference in your life? Oh, great question. Um, there's been quite a few. And the, I would say the most meaningful people that have put me in a place of strength and put me in a place of of confidence. Um, it's it's people that have done it in, in ways that was specific to that relationship. And it, it was the proximity of, of that connection that I had with them. Um, you know, a couple of examples, my grandmother, who I was uh, pretty close with, she actually passed away while I was gone on an LDS mission. She was, she was a rock in, in my youth and in my formative years. Here's a woman who had her own host of challenges in life. Uh, and yet her faith was just rock steady. And here she was as, as an example. And it's interesting. You look, a lot of the examples that I have uh, are strong women. I've had a strong mom who mm -hmm. had to navigate challenges. I had a strong grandmother who had to navigate challenges. Uh, I have a, a strong-willed uh, sister who, who's definitely always navigated challenges and helped me do so. It, it's interesting when you have the ability to look at these strong women. And so early on, uh, I, I actually had in some ways – stronger relationships with women in my life than men. And it, it's only been later in life that I've had more of a mentor type experience from, from men in my life, both professionally, but uh, even personally, you know, marrying into uh, a household where I've been able to develop a relationship and a friendship uh, with my father-in-law ha has been something that's uh, certainly meaningful. Working on a, a relationship with, with my father, uh, that's been a decades-long effort, and I hope uh, will be in an even better place decades from now. Has been something that's that's been worthwhile, but I, I would say uh, opening up enough to let people be a mentor and let people be an ally and a friend is is definitely worthwhile. But for me, at least, takes active effort. Yeah, that can be hard sometimes. You know, you want to close off, you want to shut off. I think that's natural disposition of a lot of people and maybe a lot of men, uh, generally speaking. But, you know, I, I know that your wife has been a, a lifesaver as well, just as mine has. Oh, are you kidding me? Uh, she She's my best friend. Yeah. And it's as simple as that. And when you look at uh, what you can do within a marriage and what you can do in, in that type of relationship. It's pretty special because you have the person that you get to know the best and that hopefully gets to know you the best. And yet, you know, I've probably stumbled into mistake after mistake and, and uh, unintentionally offended her more than most people <laughs> in my life. And uh -huh. yet that's what you get in a marriage is the ability to be the bumbling idiot who makes a mistake uh, and yet grow from it. And <laughs> my hope is, you know, as I look at some of the challenges and, and yet opportunities I've been able to build through my life and growing up with maybe not the most ideal situation, I've got three young boys and a baby daughter. Well, I guess she's two now, so not a baby, but <laughs> four young kids. And that's my, that's my motivation every day. Yeah. I figure out, you know, no matter what I success I find uh, professionally, if, if I can on my dying uh, bath or my deathbed and to my dying end, if I can look back and feel like I've I've been the asset that they needed me to be, that's all I'm hoping for. And I think that's the country you're fighting for too, right? Like I think your children really motivate you in this public service sphere. Hundred percent. Yep. Hundred uh, percent. Honestly, you look uh, 2008, the economic downturn. Uh, my generation. It's kind of interesting. In, in some ways, I feel like I graduated from high school 2001. I feel like my graduating class. Uh, 
nationally graduated with the most optimism. I mean, there was nothing we couldn't do. <laughs> we were beyond the Cold War. It was before the the insecurities of social media and things. I mean, literally, the world was before us. Yeah. And nine eleven happens. Yeah. Six months later, five months later, whatever it was. Uh, you know, the world changes. Then fast forward, especially here in Utah, with a number of people taking two years off to go and and, and do something else with the with themselves other than school. By the time I was graduating from college, the economy is starting to tank. I, my first job opportunities disappeared because the the economy tanked. And so you look, and for the first time in history, uh, shortly thereafter, that generation of Americans, so my generation, was expected to make less money than their parents, have a, a lower quality of life than their parents, and not live as long as their parents. Up until that point, for the hundreds of years of the American experience, even predating the foundation of our country or the founding of our country, you have uh, – people who come to this country with the expectation that their children will be better off. And so I looked at that stat as I was looking at that and, and certainly feeling it as I'm struggling to find work and find purpose. Uh, and I thought to myself, um, you know, this may be the cross that I have to bear. But we were expecting our first uh, son and our oldest, June of 2009. And so as I was looking forward to to him coming and joining our family, I realized, you know, if, if the cross that I have to bear professionally is this aspect of not living as, as productively or successfully as my parents, that's fine as long as this is the outlier. And I will do whatever I can to make sure that my kid's generation is back on the right track of the American way of having it better than I have it. That is such an interesting perspective, and and you have a unique view of that to share. Do you think do uh, do your peers share that same feeling or view? Do you think? Uh, that's a good question. I, I in terms of like this is the first generation where things maybe would be you know worse, so yeah, to speak. I don't know. I, yeah. I I don't know if if they do or not. And and here's the funny thing. You know that was a study that came out, and and while it may have been born by facts, I still think that. The human experience is one where we get to create our future. And so I'm not going to let any uh, analysts tell me what is the guarantee of my life. And I'm certainly not going to let them tell me what our guaranteed future collectively is. Amen. I love that. What, what are you excited about? What are you working on now as you look to the future, whether in politics, in your personal life or with Senator Lee? What, what, what excites you? What's, uh, what's on your mind? I think there's a I'll start professionally first uh, with Senator Lee. You look, uh, he's been at the forefront of promoting a couple of things. One, social capital, this belief of of building social communities that work with one another. Uh, and then also— Did you see Natalie Gochner's article on that that just uh, came out recently? I haven't seen her most I'll, recent I'll text one. text it to you. Yeah, please she do. She just texted it to me the other day. It's really good. She, anyway, sorry to— the, They put out some really great stuff that's that's targeted and focused on Utah and, and gets to the heart of this very this thing. This is good, and it's all about social capital. And, and what's awesome about social capital is it's something that transcends the politics. It doesn't matter, again, to kind of where you started. It doesn't matter the background. It doesn't matter what differences we have in, in sexual identity or political persuasion or gender or socioeconomics or anything else. Social capital is this ability that we have to come together and build something that we care about. And uh, so professionally, Senator Lee has always focused on on key issues dealing with that and, and plans to continue to do so. That's a, a place that I just find such joy uh, because it's it's something that, it doesn't matter who I'm talking to about it. There's a place for them at the table to be a part of it. That's cool. And I'm better off and we're better off if they're at that table. 
the other one that's that's related but more specific is criminal justice reform. And Senator Lee has worked on that for, uh, you know, the totality of time he's been in office. He really got tuned into the issue uh, back when he was a U.S. attorney or assistant U.S. attorney uh, dealing with some issues uh, and some cases where he felt the punishment did not match up well with with the crime. And yet it was the way the law was and there was nothing that you could do about it. And so we've made a lot of progress, and, and Senator Lee doesn't really tout uh, the role that he's played in that as, as much as I believe he deserves credit for. Uh, but the First Step Act signed into law, bipartisan effort uh, here a couple of years ago, um, was by and large uh, something that Senator Lee, with a small handful of colleagues, worked through and, and was, were able to accomplish. 2020, however, in light of the the racial challenges has brought to the forefront the need for us to continue to make progress. And I think criminal justice reform is one key way that we can heal some of the apparent wounds uh, that have happened historically and have certainly, again, been brought to the surface uh, this year. And that's my hope. And that's what I professionally that. that I'm excited about is is looking at social capital, criminal justice reform specifically, on what we can do to to close this chapter, not to never be looked at again, because we should never forget the mistakes of the past, but figure out a, a meaningful way forward that regardless of what you look like and what ethnic background you have, there's a place at this American table for you. And you think that's possible? Oh, 100 percent. Cool. 100 percent. Think, what's your life? Your life 60 years, 70 years, 80 years, if you're lucky enough? Uh this is your life to live. And sure, we come into a story that's already being told and has been told for hundreds and thousands of years. And there's a lot that is out of our control. But your life is in your control. And we just collectively as Americans need to figure out those things that we can be, agree upon. And, and, you know, loving your neighbor, serving your neighbor, finding a place for everybody to feel confident and accepted and loved. That should be something that all of us are working for and figuring out a way to to make sure all of our friends and family who maybe in years past have felt on the outside feel like, at least with us individually, there's a place to be. And that's where you start. Once they're they're comfortable with where you're wanting them to be and where you're comfortable in their life, then you move to the bigger things. You move to the neighborhood. You move to the county. You move to the state. You move to a country. And then we have a place where social capital is is ruling the day. And not parties. Not, That's cool. Not yeah. personal. I love that vision. That's awesome. Um, did you have something else personally? No. Okay. No, I can always go into that, but no, no that's good. exciting. Um, how could we help you oh. in your role or, you know, personally, what could we, what could we do? I think the, I do? the call to action I would give to anybody is, uh, take a second, take, take two minutes and <laughs> think, of somebody in your life that you need to reach out to and, and connect with. We're never going to build social capital uh, if we're not focusing on building relationships. And we're, you're never going to build relationships if you don't make contact. So be in touch with somebody. You, you never know what that phone call is going to do. You're never, you never know what apologizing is going to do if you need to apologize. You never know what showing up and serving is going to do for somebody. And so that, that would be the first thing that I would love to challenge people is just take a minute, figure out who in your life professionally and personally can you connect with right now to, to improve things. That really may be how social capital is built, right? Mm -hmm. This idea of social capital is that uh, we're stronger together and there's this other, instead of like money or, or fame or whatever it is, there's this other capital 
source, which is how connected we are as a society, as a neighborhood, as a whatever. And you build social capital by being in the trenches with people, Mm -hmm. by being proximate with people, even those that are different than you, understanding their challenges, uh, rubbing shoulders with them, and, and really loving them despite uh their you know their their hard things we all have hard things and and despite those uh we we love each other and we build each other and i think utah leads out in social capital right uh, uh, for a lot of reasons um but um that that's a powerful concept well and it's forward. one that that we shouldn't rest on our laurels on that and you you think even if we took some of the most complex divisive issues and if i just threw them on the table like let's let's take the pro life pro choice debate so this this topic of abortion, while it's always going to be an important issue, and it's always going to be an issue that certainly I have my passionate beliefs about, and they may be the same or different than others that, that are listening to this, if we connected with more people and there was a place of safety and there was this social connectiveness, how many young women would maybe be able to navigate that experience with the support that they deserve, regardless of your opinion of the choice life debate? Mm-hmm. Um, look at addiction. You know, oftentimes it's it's referred to as the opposite of addiction is not sobriety, it's connection. <laughs> and so you have this this topic of uh, this challenging situation where somebody is caught up in, in a, a, a health crisis and maybe it's a mental health crisis. Connecting with people is going to make it a better issue. You look at poverty. How many people with a little bit of mentorship and encouragement and uh, resources, not just federal resources, not just state resources of welfare uh, or food subsidies or whatever it may be, holding again a complex debate, policy debate, put that aside. What can you do to connect with somebody who's struggling financially? And can the the information that you know uh, be something that changes their life experience? And so, again, I think we could throw just about every single complex, divisive issue that our state and our country faces every day. If we threw it on the table, if you overlay social capital and this idea of connecting with people, the complexity of that issue becomes a little bit less. And I, I have to imagine, and I've seen it at times firsthand, the opportunity to solve an issue becomes far greater. That's awesome, Rob. Well, it's been great to have you, whether you uh, agree with Senator Lee or support him or not. Let me just tell you that his director in the state, Rob Axon, is a fine gentleman with a good beard. (laughs) But I know his heart is good. And uh, thank you for all that you do to make our state better. There are so many people that maybe are behind a a political leader or whatever that are doing so much of the day-to-day work and the, the grind that makes things happen there's a whole teams around and supporting this. It makes me think of Spencer putting together his new administration. You know, Governor Cox will be kind of the face of Utah politically for a while. There is an army of people behind him that are trying to help good things happen. And, uh, Rob, you're one of the best at doing that. Oh, and I appreciate kind of your friendship. Uh, I, I love our friendship. I, I very much appreciate uh, this type of connection and relationship that comes from getting to know people. And uh, I, I would encourage if anybody ever wants to reach out and, and touch base with ideas that they want Senator Lee to take to the forefront. How do they you do that? Know me. Yeah. Be, in, be in touch. Uh, so you can reach out to our, our Salt Lake City office, 801-524-5933. Uh, Give us a call. Start the conversation. Start the relationship. Let's connect and figure out how we can solve issues. Cool, Rob. Thanks so much for coming in. Yeah, absolutely. Best last name ever on the podcast. Thanks, my friend. And happy holidays. Merry Christmas to you. Thank you. There are so many people um, in the background that are making things happen in the state that you may or may not know of.
that's true in every life. It's true in every endeavor um, and anything that you're trying to accomplish. It's the Christmas season. Remember those people. Reach out to them. Tell them thank you. Uh, you know, let make sure they know that you appreciate them. I've really loved getting to know the Axons, uh, both Rob and his wife. And Rob is, again, whether you agree or disagree with Senator Lee's politics, Rob is a public servant who is doing this because he believes in something, he believes in certain principles, and he's doing his best to get them out there. I appreciate that. Anyone with courage to fight for what they believe in is someone that we can admire. And Rob Axon is that kind of leader in our state. I'm grateful for him and so many others in the background of politics and business and otherwise that are doing so much uh, to help us and to make this a great place to be. I was grateful for Rob to join me today. Hope you enjoyed it. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Us Podcast with Jeff Burningham. Please help us grow by leaving a rating and review and subscribing at your favorite podcast platform. Also, tell your friends and share on social media. See you again next week.